message for anyone with that attitude. About all you have to do is just run your bucket of water, run your fish down in that water, and then bring it out, and the hole that you leave in there is how much you'll be missed. (laughs) And then, of course, there are those that feel as if their presence in the house of God is to no avail, that they are of no value to the church at all. It is to these type of individuals, and I feel probably there's many of us that would fit that category. I would like to speak concerning our importance to the house of God tonight. I was talking to a lady today, and uh, it kind of sealed what God wanted to speak to us about tonight. He'd been dealing with me for some time on this, But the lady said, I I am a churchgoer. I love to go to church, and I appreciate the house of God. But she said, I go not because that I'm beneficial to the church, but because the church is beneficial to me. And I felt like she was half right, only. 
I feel like that the church is beneficial to the saints of God. Yes. But I feel like if God has called us and refreshed us and forgive us and set us in the body, that we are beneficial to that body. Yes. Amen. Amen. Regardless of how unimportant a role that we may play, we are important to the body. And I might say this, whether this, whether this assembly rises or falls, whether it fails or succeeds, is limited or unlimited in its outreach, or is a soul-saving station or becomes a preservatory for pickled saints, is in reality not up to me or any pastor, and it's not up to the church board, and it's not up to the Sunday school superintendent or the Sunday school teachers or all those who seem to be out. But it's in reality up to you. Amen. I'm speaking to individuals who feel as if they maybe only come and fill a seat. There's not too much they can do. And to individuals, like they feel like if they don't come, they're never missed. And really what they're saying in actuality is what the lady said. The church is beneficial to me, but I'm not beneficial to the church. And I want to say again, I, I differ with that. I think that God sets us in there. I think the church certainly is a benefit to us. Yes. But we are certainly a benefit to the church. And if we're not here, it's kind of like doing without a hand or a foot or whatever might be part of the body. Right. We just simply are needed. I am an inquisitive type of an individual, and a lot of things attract my attention, perhaps that doesn't attract anybody else's attention. But when I notice something that's in the Bible that it, nothing is elaborated on too much and it just kind of leaves you in mystery, I feel like sometimes the Lord is just trying to, uh, to excite us and tell us that there's something in there that he would like to talk to us about. And this happened to me some time ago when I run across this scripture in 2 Kings, the 7th chapter, and I'll just briefly go over it. It has really nothing to do uh, with what it is saying here. It's talking about Elisha and, and uh, the promise of food and uh, the Jehovah's terror that's going to be upon the Syrians. But let's read the first and second verse. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, two measures of barley for a shekel, and in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered, the man of God, and said, Behold, if the Lord will make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. I would just like to extract from the second chapter, second verse, the first portion of that, Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned. And if you'll search and look through that, that is not used too often. In fact, I think it's mentioned three times, perhaps in this chapter, and uh, if it's mentioned over once or twice in the entirety of the Bible, I'm not aware of it. But three times it's mentioned and you just kind of become concerned about it. What, who is this man? Who is this man that he's talking about? And the Hebrew translation literally means the third ranking officer. And then that leaves a void and a blank as you begin to ask, well, what did he do? What was his job as far as the king was concerned? A lord on whose hand the king leaned. 
or the third ranking officer to the king. So what? Why is that inserted in there? Just to be in there? Or is there something in there that God is trying to tell us that could be pertinent to bring up to the 20th century of today? And uh, I was more or less intrigued with that type of a thought. And for some months and some years, I searched out to try to find something. And then an article came out and it showed a picture of this mystery that uh, even the best individuals and commentators were not able to unravel it. And then this man found W.H. Bolton, who was an archaeologist, uncovered some ancient pictures in Assyria and some monuments that reveal the duties of this mysterious third man. And this is what the picture shows. Now you just stay with me because I'm going to connect it. Whether you believe it or not, I'm going to get it all together. This picture shows a chariot speeding into battle. And there are three men in this chariot. One is the driver. Another is the fighting man with a spear and shield that's ready for battle. And the third man, who they term as the third ranking officer, is shown holding two straps. And these straps are securely tied to the back of the chariot. In other words, this man is the human back of the chariot. He was called the balancer. The human back of the chariot called the balancer. Usually out of sight. His job seemed to be menial. The man that was driving the chariot, of course, had to be uh, an expert with expertise to guide the uh, horses who were charged, in a sense, with, with wildness. And then there was the man that did the fighting as he stood there, a brave man. And certainly he was noticed. But they overshadowed this third-ranking officer who stood in the back of the chariot and was the human back of the chariot called the balancer. Now, he didn't look like he was too important. Nobody hardly ever saw him, and in any of the writings that you read about chariot battles, this man is very seldom ever mentioned. But when you begin to search out, what was he doing back there? Why was he on the back of the chariot with two straps? And then in reading that, you'll find that in shifting his body and his weight, he, pre he pre prevented the chariot from overturning or by being wrecked by obstacles. And evidently this third man in the chariot didn't fight in battle and his sole duty was to keep the chariot upright and balanced. And thus a menial shore turns out to be one of the greatest that there is. He protected the fighter's life. If it were not for his expertise in keeping the chariot upright, the driver could have been nothing, and it made it possible for the chariot to run into battle. And when it's all said and done, the chariot was only as good as the third man as it rode into battle. Now, I said all that to say this. There are many Christians who are third men, are balancers. They're not ministers. They're not singers. They're not Sunday school teachers. They don't serve in the spotlight. They are always in the background. 
they are hardly ever noticed. And you'll find these type of individuals perhaps making a statement that the lady made, the church is beneficial to me, but I'm not beneficial to it. I would like to have said to her, of course there wasn't time, that perhaps she might look at it in terms of being a balancer, of realizing that somebody had to keep the chariot balanced before the fighter could do any good at all. No war was ever won just by the fighter alone. No war was ever won just by the driver alone. But this man who made the back of the chariot had stood there with his stripes and by his ability and his expertise when he's going around the corner to shift his weight and the movement like this kept the chariot from overturning in battle. Once a chariot was overturned in battle, the, every, all three of them was defeated. And this is the same way I would like to get to every one of us tonight. Oft times the powers of hell come and the devil comes and says, Well, I'm of no value. How, what good do I do? I'm a bench warmer. I come and, and I get some benefit from the church. But what input do I have? Well, let me tell you something. Sometimes when you're not here, and I realize there's times when we can't be. Sometimes when we're not here, I feel like this chariot sometimes just about overturned. I feel like that there's something that is not keeping it in balance and letting us ride in the battle. And oftentimes, we have to slow this old gospel chariot, so to speak, the church of God, up just a little bit and not take the corners just as fast because it needs a human back. It needs somebody maybe that's never seen. Somebody whose testimony maybe is not fiery. Somebody who doesn't stand out in avenues that we would like from to stand out in. It needs you there down on your knees. A hold of those stripes as we ride into the battle. And you keep that thing balanced. Thank God. So we can attack the powers of hell and defeat them. We are important. In some way, if we can recognize that importance, I think we would take every, every step that we possibly can to see that we would do our duty. God probably has called many of us to be balancers. And if He has, I, I think we do God a disservice. I think we do Him an injustice by belittling our position and our calling. Oftentimes by our prayers. Just prayers nobody hears. You, do you want to know somebody that the church hardly ever recognizes and yet is an integral part of the church, and that's an intercessory prayer warrior. Amen. Nobody ever knows when they go to their prayer closet. Nobody ever knows the interceding. Nobody ever sees the tears that run down their cheeks. Nobody ever sees that the compassion that whelms up within their heart as they go into the closet and come out fully satisfied that they preserve something for somebody. Nobody ever sees that. Because these warriors are content to stay behind the driver and to stay behind those that are out front. They are content to do that because they realize they are balancing the chariot. They are balancing the chariot. They're keeping it from going topsy-turvy by their intercessory prayer. They're keeping the powers of hell from attacking and obstacles that get in the way. They're balancing that thing by their expertise in maneuvering. But the person that you never see, and yet is probably one of the greatest individuals in the church, is somebody that goes and intercedes for prayer. And there's a lot of times that I know in, in powers of hell have attacked me, and I'm not immune to discouragement. 
I'm not immune to despondency. And sometimes I'm, I'm just loaded. It seems like, God, I can't raise up. I can't even say a prayer. I can't think a good thought. I can't say a positive thing. And then all at once, something lifts. You know what I think of? Somebody's balancing the thing. Somebody's on the back there. Somebody's been in prayer. Somebody's been concerned. Somebody has shared the burden and shared the load. And God Almighty has allowed us to drive this train a little faster into the battle. Thank God to win souls and defeat the powers of the enemy. It's not necessary. Everybody, I suppose, maybe likes to be noticed. I know there's a lot of us that say we don't, but we like a little notice every once in a while. But uh, we have just simple prayers. People that call for prayer. Now, it's easy. I've always said this, and, and uh, don't get me wrong. I, I don't mind going to the hospital. I don't mind praying for people there. I don't mind laying my hands on them. But I found this. If somebody can just let me know a need, and I can find myself alone with God. It doesn't matter to me whether they ever know I'm praying or not, as long as the results are there. Amen. Simple prayers that the devil says, Ah, it's of no value. Who knows whether you prayed or not? What difference does it make? Who knows? God knows. That's who you're talking to anyway. And you're balancing this thing. You're keeping it from turning over. And you're keeping it from being wrecked by the up obstacles that's in the way. In other words, by your maneuvers and by your abilities, you're keeping this thing should it hit a chunk in the road. And you've seen chariots. You've seen chariots and these were with four horses. Horses that were spirited. And there's just a little two-wheel buggy type of a thing. And two men up front, one's driving, the other one is fighting. And behind them unseen is this man. You hit a little stump or a chug or a hole or something like that going with the speed that they go. If that man didn't know what he was doing, if he wasn't where he ought to be, if he didn't have the expertise that he had, that chariot would immediately turn over. But when he hits that and that wheel comes up, he is shifting his weight and pulling it out and that thing rights itself and runs right on into battle and the chariot that would be wrecked and the people in it killed find yourself still able to fight. So is the church of the living God. So is every congregation. There is a need for somebody to balance the chariot by simple prayers, by just simple gifts, simple acts of service. Nobody may ever know what's going on. By doing that, we can stabilize and make possible the works of the first and second men. In other words, people like me that's always up here, you see me, you hear my loud mouth, you know that I'm here. And there's others that are out front that you can see, you can hear. And sometimes we desire, oh, if I could just be out where they could see me, I could live for God. Well, live for God where you're at. Get behind the scenes. Do your job. A greater honor than, than anything else is bestowed upon individuals just by simple acts of service. Recognizing needs, seizing the opportunity to bring that need into existence and supply it, stabilizes and makes the works of the first and the second man easier and makes it possible. The church marches on. It goes on, but it's only able to do this because of faithful balancers are third men who are willing to take their positions and who are willing to perform their duties, unseen duties, places and times when they're hidden. But I, I want to call your attention for just a few moments to 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And we're going to deal with something that 
I'm sure all of us have heard about it. We're going to just look for a little while uh, concerning the body of Christ. What a, a meticulous work that is. How the hand of God and how He explains it. How the hand of God has worked it thus and has made it thus. And then the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians begins to explain what God had, had in mind. As he says in the 12th verse, For as the body is one, and hath many members, all the members of that one body being, being many are one body, so also is Christ, or so also is the body of Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, having been all made to drink into one Spirit, for the body is not one member but many. Look how he's bringing that out to them. Trying to make every individual feel an importance. That yes. God has baptized them in the body. And he set them there. And he didn't just set them there to overlook them. They have an integral part in the move of the body of Christ and in the salvation yes. of souls. And then he begins to say, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not in the body, is it therefore not in the body? In other words, he's trying to say everybody can't be a foot, everybody can't be a hand, and it says if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not the body, is it therefore not in the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? Not like this, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. In other words, he's looked at it. He's uh, searched our talents and he saw what position we could better qualify in and what we could do better. And if it looks like we're more honorable, it doesn't really matter because God has saw what the need is in the body and he has set it in the body as it pleased him. Yes. Hallelujah. You had no say on where God placed me and I have no say where God placed you. Right. You need to recognize and say I'm here and thank God for it and I'm going to do the best job I can hey. in order to expose this thing and let the world see it. If I'm a balancer, if I'm hid, if my duty is just to shift my weight or take the obstacles, then I'm going to do it with all the power and the authority that God hath given me. And if we're all one member, where were the body? In other words, if everybody was a preacher, where would be the saints? If all were the saints, where would be the preacher? But now are there many members, yet but one body. And I cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. You see, in our congregation, representative body of Christ, whatever you are, you can't say, I don't need you. Oftentimes, we get this attitude. But just like my hand can't say, I, I don't need my elbow, it does. And a lot of times, uh, my, my foot could say, I don't need the hand. But every part of it is needed. Yes. And whether you realize it or not, if somebody is not there, if a foot is not functioning, <laughs> hallelujah, if he called you to be a leg, if he called you to be a, a, a foot or something, and you are not functioning, did you know that you cripple the body? Did you know that it can't walk like it ought to walk? Did you know that it walks with a limp? Did you know sometimes it might have to have crutches? And did you know sometimes it just might be bedtime because somebody and some part of it is not functioning like it ought to function? We're important. 
It takes a liver to do some things. It takes some eyes to see, nose to smell, ears to hear, hands to feel, feet to carry you someplace. But whatever you might be, what you ever seen or much less sometimes ever heard, it doesn't really matter as long as you know where you fit. And if you don't know for God's sake, ask God. He'll tell you. And you might be surprised at the answer you get. But if He tells you what you are, then you be one. You be what you're supposed to be. You be a balancer. Now, I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Now, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And this is what it says. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. In other words, it brings it right on back to the balancer. It seems as if there is no reason for that man to be back there. He can't fight. He can't drive. What's he there for? Well, he's there to keep this thing upright. He's there to intercede with prayer. He's there to use his hand and his wisdom and his feet or whatever else is necessary to keep this thing from being wrecked by the powers of the enemy. Most churches that are wrecked are simply wrecked because the church had no balances. They had nobody to take charge of that thing and that church started reeling, so to speak, and there wasn't anybody in their prayer closet There wasn't anybody there to balance it. There wasn't anybody there to say, hey, look, let's settle this thing down and get out of the business with God before it explodes. There wasn't anybody there. Friend, what I'm trying to say tonight is I feel like that God is on the verge of exploding this thing. I think He's on the verge of bursting it wide open. I think He's on the verge of saying, how can you say that with 25 or 30? Very easy. Because God never started with large numbers. And He always ended up with those things. But what I'm trying to say is this. Whatever happens, when the thing explodes and men men and women start coming in, there's going to have to be somebody there to keep this thing balanced and the powers of hell and destroy it just like He did before. Right. There needs to be good, solid saints of God that has an initiative to pray. I don't care where anybody ever sees them or hears from them or not. And cares not how people would say, well, they just come and sit. You might remind them sometimes of the scripture that says, I might seem to be more feeble, but I'm probably as necessary as you are. Probably just as necessary as you are. In fact, the business is... It's a whole lot easier to get a preacher than it is to get an intercessory prayer warrior. That's true. Amen. Because somebody isn't accepting their responsibility. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to know the needs. And to go before God and get those needs answered. And then go and watch somebody else perhaps get the credit for it. Uh It tries old human nature. It wants to rise up and say, hey, wait a minute. I'm the one that prayed that prayer. But does it matter as long as God knows about it? As long as God says what it is? And nine chapters to ten, whatever happens in a church, the preacher will get the blame or the credit. And most of the time he doesn't deserve the blame or the credit. The credit goes to those who are balancing the thing. Those who are praying and concerned, the credit goes there. To those who are hidden away in their closet, beseeching God that He would move. Amen. Take away the oppression, the oppression, and the things that battle. And get into this battle with the driver. And into this battle with the soldier that is fighting. You're in the same church. 
You're in the same thing, and you're riding into battle. But whether you the thing succeeds or not is dependent on the simple, simple acts of an individual perhaps has never seen. And these members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God has tempered the body together. Having given more abundant honor to that part which lacks. And there's a reason for this. That there should be no schisms in the body. But that the members should have the same care one for another. I find that oftentimes highly improbable. In most of the houses we go. Because going with human nature. Which oftentimes we are prone to go with. Other than the spirit of God. Going with human nature. There are people that you simply like better than you do others. There are people that appeal to you. Better than other people appeal to you. And if you are going by human nature. You are going to respect them. You are going to lean toward them. More than you do others. That God has asked us to perform in the Spirit and has tempered us together so that there would be no scissors or divisions in the body, that one member would have the same care for the other member. Right. In other words, we'll just see that little old saint of God, can't hardly testify, don't really know how, how to make good sense when they testify, and uh, that preacher that can't make too much sense when he preaches. And all of this just to see them and say, God, thank you for that wonderful part of the body. I don't know what is. It's not there. The body gets sick. And when the body gets sick, it gets weak. And then sometimes it dies. And he's talking to us about a body. And he's saying he's tempered it together. He's made honor. And he's want them all to be honored that one member should have the same care one for another. Right. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with right. it. I want to oh just stop there just a moment. Mm-hmm. Oh my. Most, most of us, and, and as it should be, most of us when we're suffering or or have something to suffer with or suffer about, most of us are only too glad to share this with somebody else. Amen. You know, because misery really does love company. Yeah. And, uh, and the Bible really teaches us that, that we should share it with one another. And this is all right. But oftentimes, we forget about the other part where it says if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Right. In other words, when something good happens to that individual or to you, when you were suffering, you didn't care to let the body know that you were suffering and you needed something. Well, when you're honored and when you're rejoicing, let the body know you're rejoicing and let them rejoice with you and go and have on with you. Often, if we often hear you're sick, and friend, we want to hear when God touches you and when you get well and when there's a miracle in your body and a miracle in your life and a miracle in your soul. We want to hear about that. The Bible tells us we ought to. Now you're members, you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church. First apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly, teachers after that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak 
who with tongues do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Now, lest you get confused about do all speak in tongues and say, well, you don't have to speak in tongues to have the Holy Ghost. This is talking about the gift, not the giver. Right. All right? Come on. So there is a difference there. He's saying, do all have the gift of tongues? In other words, can, can all of you just speak in tongues at will when you get ready? Of course you can't. Not all of you. But some can. They have the gift of tongues. And it says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I'm going to show you a more excellent way. That's a better way of doing this. Not that I'm going to do away with the gifts. But it says, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, intellect is not enough. And to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues is really not what God is after so much. He would like to have us to do that all right. And even though we speak with tongues of men and angels, he said, and you don't have the love within your heart to see mankind reach, then you just become a sounding brass's tingling symbol. In other words, it has no meaning. Right. Amen. You're going to have a church full of people that stand up and speak in tongues beautifully. And if all we're doing it for is just to speak in tongues, or try to prove the fact that you are, then it's, a, it's meaningless. It's soundless. It, it, it has, has nothing in mind whatsoever. But the Bible is teaching us that if we would mix love with that, then it would reach out. You see, intellect is not enough. He's saying in that. And though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries, I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. In other words, gifts and talents are not enough. It has to be intermingled with the charity or the love of God. And number three, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Giving of our substance, giving of our bodies is not a love. Love must be there, and love must be given to be loved. Right. Amen? Amen? Love is not love unless it is given. Sure. That's one way we can tell whether it's love or not. Charity, in other words, love suffers long. Love is kind. That word is an intriguing word. It seems like just a small word. But kind means disposed to do good to others. Alleviating their distresses. One commentator put it, kind is love with its arms unfolded. Just reaching out. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's being kind. Just love unfolding its arms and reaching out for lost humanity. And he said, now love doesn't behave itself unseemly. Doesn't seek its own. Not easily provoked, doesn't think any evil, doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, love never fails. Where there be prophecies, they'll fail. Where there's tongues, they'll cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Or we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I fought as a child. The Apostle Paul is saying, But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, he says, but then shall I know even as also I am knowing. That's talking about when that which is perfect is come. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity or the greatest of these is love love 
is what keeps the third man on the back of the chariot. Amen. Love is what entrenches him there. Love for his responsibility. Gallant in battle. Realizing his necessity. How this church and other churches need somebody that never comes to the forefront. Maybe you're not called for that. Maybe you come to the forefront. Maybe you're seen. But if you've never seen our congregation and other congregations need somebody that will just, just focus their attention on their job and keep this thing right and keep it upright. Because we're running in the battle. Yeah. I said we're driving in the battle. Yes. And we're going faster and faster. There's going to be obstacles. And a lot of times we're going to have to make some quick turns. Somebody needs to be back there to balance us. So if you're a balancer, if you're a third man, stay there. Yes. Keep this thing from turning over. Right. Don't let it be right. Because we're going someplace, saints. I said it. We're going someplace. But when God gets it all together, when He gets it the way He wants it, when He gets every one of us where we're supposed to be, and gets the hand where the hand's supposed to be, and... and uh, Gets the ear, quit, quit letting the hand want to do the foot's work, and the foot want to do the eye's work and all of that. I just settle down and just nestle in and say, okay, God, you put me here. Nobody else has. Right. I'm going to nestle in and I'm going to do my job. When he gets it all together, when he gets it ready to function, yes. then we're going to get in and we're going to have a battle. Amen. There'll be fighters up front. Mm-hmm. There'll be drivers. But we can't do nothing. Back of that chair. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, there's not a whole lot of danger in the back because you're running face to face with the enemy. Chariot fighting is always face to face. They they have that much honor whenever they fight. They're face to face. If they come out and miss one another, they make a circle and head right back face to face again. So actually, in a sense, the man that's back there is maybe out of the firing line. But oh, what a job he's done. Oh, my. What a job it is just to hold of those straps all through the heated battle. And just know the feel of that thing. A lot of times he can't see. Dust is raging. But know the feel of that thing. Which way he needs to shift in order to keep it from turning over. Sensitivity of the spirit. Sensitivity yes. to the things that might wreck the we need it, saints. We need somebody to ask yes. God. Ask God if you can be one. If you're not, ask Him if you can just be one. Ask Him to make you so sensitive that whenever you make just a real quick turn and you don't know He's going to make it, let Him ask Him to let you be so sensitive that you can just as He makes it immediately shift your weight. Or perhaps an obstacle just as the wheel hits before it turns over. Get your wheel back. Congregations and churches, and I'm talking about individual churches like ours and others, have been destroyed because everybody was up front. And then when problems came, instead of recognizing the silent people had a job, uh-huh. we just kind of showed up our hand, left it all to the to the ones fighting, <laughs> and to the ones who driving. 